Are you ready to realize the true potential in your life and help others do the same? Get equipped to create a thriving future with the Secrets of Success podcast. Inspire others to live, lead, and work on purpose. And experience the joy of watching satisfaction and productivity come to life. And now, here's your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, I have a question for you today. Are you worthy? You know, we have a lot of times we have guests on the show, and today I just really want to talk to you. I just want to have a conversation with you about this great big huge question about self-worth. You know, do you feel worthy? Do you feel competent? Do you feel capable? And here's the reason why we're talking about it. I mean, a lot of individuals have opportunities in front of them, including yourself. And all of us have had moments where we doubt ourselves, where we wonder if I can pull it off, if I can do it, uh, what will people say, all these other things that go on. And I just want to take the time today in the show and just encourage you and help you, but also really to kind of establish and challenge us as far as what is the main reason that, one of the main reasons that we fail to succeed. And one of those is the fact that we just don't have the self-worth or self-esteem or self-concept. You know, one of my colleagues, Dr. Alan Weiss, who's written, you know, many, many books, I think it's over 60. I've mentioned him in other show or other shows. And he wrote the book Million Dollar Consultant, and he also does work with independent professionals. And he said, you know, in a, in a recent newsletter and a conversation that um, we had way back when I was mentoring under him over 20 years ago, so, you know, he thought that the reason that many entrepreneurs were not being successful is they didn't have the right system, they didn't have the right process, maybe they didn't have the right training. But really in the professional development field, what he discovered was most people actually didn't have the esteem to be successful. They didn't have the self-worth level. They didn't have the belief in, their, in themselves that they were worth it or worthy of success for whatever reason. So let's just take some time today. And you said, well, this doesn't really apply to me. Well, I don't know. I mean, all of us in our lives have some place, somewhere where our past and our belief systems are hindering our ability to be successful. Maybe it is is that you don't think you're worthy of a great relationship, that Somebody abused you verbally in your lifetime or they said something to you and you say, you know what, Ken, you know what, you're just not ever going to have a great relationship. It's always going to be a disaster. Have you ever wondered why there are individuals, both men and women, everybody applies in this, who always are in a kind of, and pardon my French, a crappy or a terrible relationship? And you say, what's going on? I mean, they're smarter than that. They seem to have the intelligence. However, there is a a trigger or an underlying belief system that somehow or other they're not worthy of a quality individual or a partner. Now, some of this is sometimes known to you. To other of you, it's not. You know, I was recently in a conversation with somebody, and we're just really talking about this, and they had been in an abusive relationship and before this person left the relationship, uh, all they heard was why they weren't good enough, why they were a loser, on and on and it goes. 
And these bullies usually have low self-worth themselves as far as what they do with other individuals. Or maybe you don't think you're worthy of success in life or getting that great job or you know, being successful in business. You know, I still remember when I started in consulting and I got actually a pretty significant contract with this Fortune 500 company. And this is many, many years ago and I was going to be the senior consultant for uh, international, you know, Fortune 500, actually Fortune 100 company at that time. And uh, I set them, you know, here's what my fees are going to be, here's what this project is worth. And I was shaking while I was kind of signing off and sending off this proposal to them because it was worth so much. And then they said yes and said, whoa, man, are they going to find out that I can't do this? I mean, so we all have had these moments where we wonder if we're worthy, wonder if our self-worth uh, is good enough. And so I just want to encourage, and let's just kind of go through some items here that's unique to CRG, but also the work that I am sharing with you is all in our assessment, the self-worth inventory. And so I just encourage that if at the end of this show you have some kind of interest to benchmark your sort of self-worth condition, that you would consider that tool really as a gift to yourself or gift to others. I mean, one of the things that happens, uh, we had a, a large client who was using the self-worth inventory, is a lot of individuals don't want to talk about, oh, self-worth. It's, it's a soft item. It's not really real. Well, here's the reality. You know, our tool does not reveal your or my self-worth level, or it doesn't create it, pardon me. It only reveals what is already true. So each of us and everybody listening to this, you have a self-worth level in all the contexts of your life. Now here's an interesting point, what we've discovered in our research. We believe in a thing called situational self-worth. There's some of you that have pretty good self-worth at home, but at work maybe not so high. And there'll be other individuals the other way around where they are very, very high at work, but really not high self-worth in their family. And I remember going to a family reunion once, and you know, here I've been a successful speaker, I've been traveling around the country, uh, all these different successes, and really started to feel insecure around certain family members. I said, well, where's that from? Because the, here's the reality is that we have situational belief systems. Now, I talk about it in the Quest for Purpose as one of the segments. If we're going to live our life on purpose, if you're going to do what you're destined to do, your calling, your assignment, you're going to need confidence to fulfill it. You know, sustainability and resilience requires confidence. There's no other way to go around it. So when I was in high school, and I share the story in Why Aren't You More Like Me and also in the Quest for Purpose. When I was in high school, uh, I grew up on a dairy farm. I know that's kind of hard to believe, but sort of an agricultural background. And so I was part of a, the national program called 4-H, which is a youth program for those of you that are unaware of it. At the same time, you know, going to high school, I was really the person who was picked on. I was a farmer kid into, we weren't a large city at that time, but we were coming into town. And so I had this situation where really I felt insecure around my high school friends for the most part. And yet in the 4-H program, I was one of only five individuals selected nationally to go into 
to to attend and win an award to go on a European trip. So how is that possible? How is that possible that in one context that I am a national award winner and in another one I'm kind of bullied and the despise of my peers? Well, it's self-worth. I believed and had acceptance and had a belief system that was very strong within 4-H. That was my tribe. That was my space. That's where I was confident. That's where I had competence. And all of that brought to bear success, where in high school, really, I didn't. I mean, the, I was the eldest of the four children in our family. Uh, my parents weren't all that worldly in terms of helping me with things. So I was struggling really with some interpersonal issues in communication skills. As far as just being able to build relationships outside of what I knew, which was the farming community. So, I mean, it took some time to be able to grow through it. But when I first got exposed to the self-worth inventory, way back in the late 80s, early 90s, I really discovered that my self-worth was low with some peers, but also low in family. And so that was kind of a root cause that was affecting my ability to make confident decisions. I mean, we talk about, you can think, think about somebody, maybe it's you, but think about some other individuals where they discount their value, where they discount their capabilities. Say, can I like you to do uh, this new project? Says, well, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that project. And so what they are saying to you is, I don't think that I am valuable or able or capable when we can clearly see that it's possible for them. And so we have this situational self-worth. And so for, for each of us to improve our self-worth, is that we need to kind of benchmark it, get a sense of what it is. You know, self-worth is really one's own perception of oneself. We really break it down into how you think about yourself and how you feel about yourself. It's really a confidence in our ability to think, learn, choose, and make appropriate decisions. You know, people who uh, have low self-worth, really they are more indecisive. They're actually, there's way more in, um, illness because their immune system actually is lower. They, the people that are high self-worth are happier. The people that are low self-worth tend to be more depressed. You've seen that where there's those items that come into play. People that are low self-worth actually are more defensive because they, uh, in many cases, were trying to get their value and their worth externally. And so when people criticize them, then they'll be defensive where if I'm really strong and I am confident in who I am, this is not from an arrogant point of view. This is really from a self-confidence point of view, is that I, <clears throat> I don't need your approval to feel good about myself. Excuse me. So when we think about ourselves, is that do you feel, do you need other people's approval? Do you need other people to say that you are great so that you can feel good about yourself. I mean, what we have found in this narcissistic sort of social media society, if it's like I don't get 100 likes on my Facebook post, I'm freaking out. Well, that is actually dysfunctional, is that we shouldn't have to have, yeah, it's nice to get other people's feedback. Yes, it's nice to be affirmed. And as a speaker and trainer, I, I do appreciate the fact that people give me feedback that they like the work that we're doing. But do I really, really need it to be of value? And the, the answer to that and the answer to everybody is no. Because here's the reality. 
if you need everybody else's approval, then it's everybody else's approval that creates your worth. Well, that's a very precarious place to be in. You don't want to be in that situation. And so our value really becomes internal as far as our thinking about the value that we bring. The other thing that happens lots of times in this sort of, especially myself as a baby boomer, is a lot of times people get their value in what they do, not who you are. So a lot of our work is in career development, workforce development, individuals in transition, all kinds of places where people are trying to get clear about what they want to do in their life. And there's all kinds of evidence and there's all kinds of uh, um, clients that we've worked with over the years where you can see if they lost their job, they lost their worth because their identity was wrapped up in this position versus this person. So I want to encourage you that, you know, your, your worth is not wrapped up in what you own. It's not wrapped up in your status. It's not wrapped up in, uh, you know, what you do and your job title. It's wrapped up in the fact that you are a human being that has worth. Now, I'm going to come into some other items about what we need to do to improve, but the reality is, is that we shouldn't be getting this externally. Now the flip side is that self-worth is much different than arrogance. Arrogance in ego is, um, arrogance is that I'm better than everybody else. Self-worth is that I'm okay with myself. I'm cool with myself. I have confidence in the ability for me to be able to be in this space and serve others. You know, it's interesting, you know, the work that's in the Quest for Purpose that I had sourced from Martin Sigelman, Learned Optimism. He actually was hired by the Girl Scouts of the U.S. to create happiness clubs so that, you know, when you think about tweens and having a daughter who is now, you know, just in her 20s, is that as uh, growing up, just the pressure to be able to kind of comply and, and, you know, wearing this right clothes and doing all this kind of stuff and cyberbullying, you know, we really kind of have to stand in our own space and so what Martin did is create happiness clubs is that how I speak and talk to myself is highly influencing my feelings and thinking about myself. If you keep saying, well, I'm not good enough, guess what? You, it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you have kids that talk about, well, I'm not good at math, and then they're not good at math, why should we be surprised by that when that's what they say? So the reality is, is that we will. It's not that... You know, I say, well, listen, I'm not very good at basketball, and I'm not going to be 6'9 tomorrow, but I'm not going to beat myself up over basketball. So the more negative comments that we direct to ourselves, the lower our self-worth, the lower that we're going to be able to perform. And again, not because we are self-centered, but we're self-honoring. So I just want to quickly take, in the next few minutes, is to give you what we call our 12-step <laughs> process. Sound familiar? You know, if you think about Alcohol Anonymous or, anonymous or uh, Gambling Anonymous or whatever it is, is that they all have a 12-step program. Well, we have 12 steps that I just want to share with you that you can use with yourself and or with others to help improve your self-worth levels in whatever context that it applies to you.
You know, so uh, number one step is take responsibility. You know what? Blaming other people for your situation, your condition, uh, forget it. It's not going to work. Is that we need to take responsibility for your life. If you blame everybody else, then you have no ability to change it. And so, you know, when Scott Peck wrote the book, The Road Less Traveled, he did say the most difficult psychological condition to treat is character disorder. And character disorder is the self-pity, poor me attitudes, you know, psychological doctrines where I have entitlement. You know, get off of that podium is take responsibility for your condition and that getting angry and getting bitter, all of those will destroy your life, destroy your self-worth and affect your space. So stop blaming the circumstances and own it. I mean, I even see it because we work with university students where we're blaming the professor on why I got a bad mark. Hello. You know, get a grip. Take responsibility for your life. Now, there are some situations where there are some conditions where other people have contributed. But there is, we are always, we always have a part to play. I love Andy Stanley who does some, uh, has some Netflix out. And he says, I don't care what happened in that relationship. He said, you had a part to play for the breakup. I don't care if it's 1% of the 100%, but you need to own your 1%. So whatever it is that you can own, take that own ownership right now and take responsibility for your life. You are exactly where you want to be. And I says, well, that's not true. You don't know my background. So hang on. I could tell you all the stories too, and you can read my different books. All of us will have a story about different things and how we're, badly we're feeling. And somebody says, well, Ken, it's easy for you. You're just doing this. Well, that is not true because my self-worth was so poor after I got out of high school that I sat with a loaded gun contemplating if I wanted to leave this earth or if I wanted to stay. And the reason that people contemplate suicide, and some of you that are listening right now, and I just want to be emphatic to you, that if you have know anybody or if you've been through this, is that you are worthy. And what happens is it's because people do that because there's hopelessness. They don't believe that there is a positive outcome. And I'm here to tell you that there is and that we 100% can con- control and take responsibility for our thoughts, which are really influencing our self-worth levels. Number two is that you, know, you need to make sure that you're living on purpose. And so part of the reason people get worried, part of the reason people get down, part of the reason people get depressed, and this is where we're talking about my quest book, and, and you know, go back and listen to the four-part series that I did on our podcast earlier, is that when people are in the zone and they are doing their assignment and they're doing what they're called to do, that is energizing. That is encouraging. That, I mean, you don't even have to be motivi- motivated. You are just inspired as part of that. So I just encourage that you would take the time, do the work to find out where you're supposed to go. Now, part of this, item number three, is know yourself. You know, getting to know self-awareness as, uh, you know, excuses be gone, Wayne Dwyer, author, always said, in self-awareness, all things are possible. So two tools in addition to the self-worth inventory are the personal style indicators. So understand your personal style or, you know, get my book, Why Aren't You More Like Me? Understand yourself and your preferences. 
And also, what are your values? And so the values preference indicator is another tool that you can use. And get clear about yourself. Know yourself. Invest in yourself. Go to programs. Go to seminars. Take assessments. I mean, your number one investment in life should be in yourself so that you can go to a higher level of contribution. Again, not from a self-centered. This is not about toys. This is about professional and personal development. And if you invest nothing in yourself, then what are you saying about the value that you put onto yourself? Number four is that in this work, we always teach that you need to play to your strengths and to your interests. A lot of times there's social pressure. Now, there are some conditions, and I'm not saying that there aren't some situations where people have to do things that they dislike. Uh, you know, I get that, and I've had that in my life as well. However, how can we be intentional in our life to make sure that we're doing where your talents, gifts, and interest and your strengths are being played on rather than, you know what, Ken, you really need to develop your weaknesses. You need to develop this other area. You know, that's a burden for people. And this is where, you know, does the nature of the work match the nature of the person? That goes back to the personal style, the job style, and the different items that we've talked about here in the purpose work. But it does affect your self-worth and your self-esteem. Number five, and I did an entire podcast on this, is your wellness level. Do you know now that your cognitive abilities are based on your wellness? Do you know that your immune system is based on your wellness? I shared the story in my podcast about dying to live where I was wrongly um, diagnosed with being manic depressive and put on antidepressant pills when in fact I was hypoglycemic and I had to insist to my medical doctor that really it was a physical condition. So in some cases, ladies and gentlemen, you really have a physical condition that is now leading into a mental and emotional condition. And do you know that fitness and working out will improve your overall vibrancy and your state of mind? It gives um, endorphins into your system. And so just if you're not working out, you need to go for a walk. You need to kind of include fitness and activity as part of your routine so that you will feel better about yourself. You're going to be sharper. You're going to sleep better. All these things. If you're not getting enough sleep and you're staying up late at night, no wonder you're grumpy. No wonder you're not feeling good or you know somebody like this because depression will come out of that. You know, the other one item that comes is that, you know, some people do have legitimate conditions or background that really requires, and this is item number six, uh, competent professionals. So if you need to kind of talk through some of these items, then go see a professional that can help you to process it, to uh, reset your mindset or your perspective. You know, um, the latest research around counseling is, is that going through your stuff over and over again is not going to help you. It's actually going to make it worse. Going through your stuff so that you can move forward and start defining your new vision and the direction you want, now that will work. So if you need the help, don't, you know, get rid of the pride and uh, step up and talk to somebody who can help you, whoever that might be. So don't keep um, avoiding it. Now, Dr. Carolyn Leaf uh, doesn't believe that we really have a biological condition for depression. 
Um, he, she really does believe in her books, you know, Who Switched on My Brain, Who Switched Off My Brain, or Switch on My Brain, is that it, it's a thought pattern issue. But regardless, we need to kind of take responsibility for that. So maybe somebody can help you to reframe your thoughts so that you will feel more energized. So if we're having negative thoughts about ourselves and over and over again, then there could be all kinds of contributing factors. So we need to take responsibility for that and not be embarrassed by that condition and then address it and go forward from there. And there are all kinds of resources that are out there for you. Now, it's interesting, though, is that I might not do it. I might not reach out because I don't have the confidence to do it because I have this low self-worth. So this is a vicious circle. So if you know somebody, if you are around somebody, then I just want to emphatically encourage you that you would, you would have the courage to reach out to your friend, to your family member, to your colleague and say, listen, how can we help you with this? And do you want some help? Can, you know, whatever it might be. And sometimes you have to be uh, gently persistent. They help them because they don't even know what they don't know. You know, number seven in our 12-step is self-respect and assertiveness. Part of our ability to be successful in life is the ability to equally say no as yes. Now, this will vary depending on different styles. There could be obligation. There could be a cultural thing of guilt. There could be cultural pressures towards certain directions. And, you know, I know when I've done a lot of coaching, and with a percentage of the individuals that I've been coaching with them, some of them uh, or many of them have this sort of obligatory, that's, I know it's a fast word there, obligatory situation where they say yes really at the, def, well, really at the detriment of their own wellness, of their own condition. And so uh, have you set up margins? Have you set up boundaries? Have you thought about it where you, you don't do this from a, again, from a self-centered point of view. You do it from a self-protection point of view. And so, example, I remember coaching a, a mother, and then she was saying yes to all the kids and what they were doing and yet not asking them to do things, not really setting up the guidelines, and she was just burnt out. I said, well, stop playing the victim. Do, just set it up. Take a moment and said, you know, if you were to set boundaries, or uh, self-respect, where is it that you need to say no? Where is it that you need to have guidelines? Or for some individuals like myself, I was a workaholic. I was getting my value from my work and my effort when I was younger. And so sometimes there's, that, there's this driven person that's out there that is really kind of uncomfortable in their own skin. So they need to keep busy. They need to be frantic to actually have worth because if I slow down, I might actually have to look at myself. So again, I'm not being accusatory. I'm just encouraging that these are different situations, real-life situations, that over the 30 years of working with people that they have been true and this has happened. Number eight, and I talked about this in other shows, but do not underestimate number eight, is forgive yourself and others for past mistakes and failures. Bitterness, unforgiveness to self, unforgiveness to others. There is, there's probably nothing else that will erode your soul more than bitterness. I mean, I still remember, or, or unforgiveness, I still remember a friend of mine, and this was actually my son's, one of my son's best friends. He was traveling back from a weekend away. 
he was only 17 years of age, and he got a car accident and was uh, unfortunately uh, killed in the car accident. The mother of this boy was distraught and blamed herself for the death of her son. And no, I mean, we've lost people. I've lost friends. I've, as I've mentioned in other stories, my girlfriend was murdered many, many years ago. And uh, so maybe I can't relate exactly to a, to a parent and a child, but I've had many friends who have kind of been through some of this at different times, is that I don't wish this on anybody. However, 10 years later, this individual who was a vibrant, just a selfless, uh, community-focused individual and delightful, was just a shell of herself. Uh, she had not gone in the room in 10 years. She hadn't touched it. She worked it over and over. She was, for all intents and purposes, just waiting to die. And so my encouragement to everybody listening here is that if you have unforgiveness in your heart, if you have people that you have not forgiven, that, and I've said this before on other podcasts, but I want to remind you of this saying that another speaker said, if you have unforgiveness or bitterness in your heart, it's like you taking the poison and expecting the other person to die. We're not saying that whatever that other person did was okay. We're not um, affirming it. We're not agreeing with it. But you forgive them for your sake, not for their sake. And you don't need to talk to them. I mean, if this person might not even be alive anymore, you don't need to go to them. You just need to do this privately in your own space right now. And so if you have some, then I encourage that you would make a list. Make a list of all the items where you have unforgiveness, even if how trivial it is, where there's bitterness. And so that you can let this go, including your own guilt, where, you know, I wish I could have done this, or et cetera. Now, it's interesting. You know, in CRG's three-day certification where we train professionals and all this work, we have, a, we have a part in the session, and I won't give it away if you ever come to the session because it's so powerful. But one of the things we do is we teach, teach people how to give and how to receive feedback. And I know that it's true for me uh, because I really grew up in an unaffirmed environment and that no fault of my parents because really they grew up in an unaffirmed environment as well. They just passed it down. But I recall having, of all people, a pastor in the room at the end of one of the workshop days, and as we were going in the round, around the room sharing, his comment to the group was, he said, my most uncomfortable moment today was receiving positive comments from other people. I said, what? And, and I didn't say that what in a judgment tone. I was just shocked and I was surprised. Here's an individual who is willingly giving encouragement and support to other people as a pastor, but wouldn't or wasn't comfortable with receiving it. And so I just want you to think about when people compliment you, do you receive it? I am still working on this in spite of all these years. Is that do you say, you know, thank you? Just open your heart and receive it and say thank you. You know, what, it, what do we do to the person who is complimenting us when I say something like, oh, it was nothing. So I'm going to discount your compliment to me. And again, it's not from an arrogance because there are some groups that have this false humility, you know, that I'm not going to say anything about myself. Oh, please. 
is that uh, just saying thank you, just receiving it, will not only warm your heart, it's going to warm their heart. So I think enough around forgiveness. And then if you do have anything, just write it out. In some cases, one of the, the processes here is you just write a letter of forgiveness to the person and you never send it. If this is for you. It's not for them because that's their issue. Now, if you do want to say and chat with somebody, then fine, go ahead and do that. You know, when we think about uh, uh, the next time, number nine, is, and number nine and ten are connected, is moving away from the self-centered syndrome. You know, uh, narcissism, I said before, is that we want to move away from the generation of me, and it's all about me, to really a one of service and focusing on others first. Somebody mentioned uh, the other day that uh, they went out for dinner with this um, individual who runs a large organization, a nonprofit organization, and he and his four daughters and his wife went out for dinner with this other couple who were in town from out of country. And they were at dinner for two hours, and they said, do you know, during that entire dinner, not once did they talk about themselves. They only asked questions of us. He said, I, I came away from that, and I said, I was, just, I was just amazed. I was so taken back by the fact that everybody in that family had been nurtured and talked to focus on other people. You ever, ever seen that where you get in a conversation with somebody and you mention one thing, you know, I went to Mexico, and then the person beside you starts a story for the next 30 minutes about their trip to Mexico. Yeah, you know, we all have done it, myself included. But what would it mean if you could have an interaction, a conversation with somebody this week where you don't mention or talk about yourself one little bit? Somebody talks about Mexico, and they say, oh, great, where did you go? How was it? How long did you go? What was the purpose you went? Who'd you go with? Did you enjoy it? What did you do while you're down there? All these questions that are great conversational questions. You know, them knowing that you went to Mexico on your honeymoon 20 years ago and it was uh, in a hurricane, who cares? Stop being self-centered. Be focused on the other person. So that's my challenge to everybody listening, is that you would be a conversational king and queen this week. You would move away from you to other people. The other one that is linked in this is volunteering. And, you know, the old story that it's better to give than receive is true. ABC did a study. It was kind of a, a gimmicky thing. And what they did is they had these individuals, they rated their satisfaction and happiness levels on a scale. And then what they had them do is they had them serve in some form or another in the community, go to a grade one class and read some books, maybe uh, hand out some uh, clothing to the homeless that are on the streets or work a soup kitchen or whatever the case was. And what ABC was trying to figure out or try to determine or confirm is what was the rating of happiness for these people after they did this activity. Now, the people doing the activity thought that they were there to help increase the happiness of the grade ones while they read to them. But what they didn't realize is the researchers were trying to rate their happiness as somebody that was give, giving. And, and you know, I know you're not surprised. Everybody's happiness level improved 
by giving to other people rather than receiving. There is an actual biological change in your body that improves your immune system and your self-worth by focusing on others. You know, when we start to be pitiful around ourselves, there's always somebody in worse condition than you are and go give to them. You know, get out of your pity party and uh, be able to serve somebody else and help somebody else. Uh, I'm in Vancouver, Canada, and there was a professor at University of British Columbia, and here's what she did with her class, her psychology class, to really make a point of her the classmates, and they really did this very, very simple exercise. She gave $5 to every class member, and she asked them to do one of two things. Could you go out and buy something for yourself and just treat yourself to something, whatever it is, you know, go have a milkshake or Starbucks coffee or whatever it is, or could you get a little gift or a copy or something for a friend and give it to them? Without exception, every single person who gave to the other person had a better feeling about themselves than those that bought something for themselves. So my encouragement is that somehow or another, you find a place to give. I'm not here to judge what it is. I just want to challenge you that you would give in some form or another. It will get you out of that sort of doldrums if that's the case. If nothing else, if you are perfectly okay with your self-worth, it's just going to improve it. Item number 11 is a little bit sensitive for some people, but I have it down here as, and this is part of every 12-step program, as you know, is develop your spiritual life. There was a study done by CTV and Ipsos Read in Canada many years ago, and they asked the question of 8 to 12-year-olds, what is the number one factor that brings confidence and lowers their stress level in their life? You know, we would think, well, it's two-parent families, maybe it's a stable economic area, et cetera, et cetera. But you know what their number one factor that contributed to their esteem between 8 and 12? And it was, according to this research, it was their faith in God, capital G. And so when, we, when individuals have a sense that there's a greater purpose going on, that there is something else more than themselves to have hope in rather than just this uh, humanity. And I'm not here to tell you what you should or shouldn't believe, though I do have a bias on that, and I have an outline or some conversation in the quest for purpose on it. But what the research shows is that those that really kind of let go and understand that there's something more going on here, uh, a divine intervention, if you will, is that those individuals' self-worth improves because it's not just on them. And then finally, item 12, and I covered this in the Quest for Purpose, but I mention it again, and I mention it back, and it links to what I had said earlier, one of the previous steps. Step number 12 is learn about optimistic and pessimistic habits. In Martin Sigelman's book, Learned Optimism, which, of course, was the person I just mentioned who was working with the Girl Scouts to help happiness clubs, is that our language about how we respond to both positive and negative events in life predicts our future success. And so if you're down, if you beat yourself up over a failure, how you respond to these events, or if you have a positive, if you have a win, and you discount your win, this is on the pessimistic side of things. This is going to perpetuate itself into and be persuasive, pervasive throughout your life. 
So I encourage that you would do a study, that you would, you would pay attention to your language. I have a section in the book, The Quest for Purpose, where I cover this off and where you can get learned optimism and even take an, in, an assessment in the book. And you might be surprised of what would be considered pessimistic and what would be considered optimistic so that we can have resilience in life, so that we can have this engagement in life, so that we can have success in life. You know, I started this whole show really talking about you are worthy. You know, in our self-worth inventory, we break down the situational self-worth into five categories. You know, self, family, uh, we talk about peers, work, and then projected self. And so we'll have situational self-worth in each one of those. Uh, this is, again, I, I persist on this word. This is not about arrogance. This is really being comfortable in your own skin. This is the fact that when you are confident is that you are going to be able to do more difficult tasks. You're going to be more successful in life. You're going to be, have less addictions. You're going, to have more, you're going to take more personal responsibility. You know, the list goes on and on to the benefits. In any company that says, well, I don't want to touch this because, you know, it's just kind of a soft topic, here's the reality. You and everybody around you, we all have a self-worth level. And it's living itself out this very moment to deny its existence uh, is to be in denial. And so all we're encouraging you to do is that we would just take ownership of this and that we would look at it. And you would consider the 12 steps that I talked about and the 12 steps as a reminder is take responsibility, make sure you're on purpose, know yourself with personal style and values, play to your strengths, make sure you're health and that you're healthy and you're vibrant. Seek help if you need it. You know, develop self-respect and assertiveness. Forgive yourself and others for past mistakes. Stop being self-centered. Volunteer. Develop your spiritual life. And finally, you know, be learned optimism or learn about the learned optimism model that Dr. Martin Sigelman has. You know, I thank you each week that we have these podcasts and it's a privilege to be able to serve. And I just ask that if you're enjoying the shows, that you would share them, that you would forward them, you would let other people know so we can kind of get this word out to them. If you have some interest about the self-worth inventory, you can go to crgleader.com and take the assessment. You know, I thank you for being part of the show. I just want to encourage everybody listening today, you are worthy you are worth it, and you are valued. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keith. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com, scroll to the